Welcome to the Back in Business podcast with Mickey Clark and Liz Barkley, the champions of small businesses and freelancers throughout the UK. And uh, we're both limbering up for Super Saturday tomorrow. We record on Friday, if you didn't know. And by the time you hear this, from Monday the 6th onwards, uh, we might have seen a film, uh, had a driving lesson, and Liz might have even bought me a drink. Ooh, that's a possibility. Uh, you'll have to be very, very nice to me throughout the pod though, if you want to drink. But I will definitely be feeling better because I have the first appointment with my hairdresser tomorrow morning at 9.30 and I'm counting the minutes. I'm down to minutes now. Not, not a minute too soon either. Um, well, <laughs> while you're celebrating your good fortune, spare a thought for all those people not on the list of businesses to reopen in England from the 4th of July. And for those that did reopen, traded for a few days, and were then shut down again on Tuesday. And that was in Leicester. Yes, and our chief reporter, uh, Jyoti Rambai, lives in Leicester. So she's been checking out how businesses are dealing with that second lockdown. Jyoti, what's the mood amongst the businesses that you talk to? Well, they're devastated, Liz. Um, while they understand the need for the lockdown, many small businesses said that um, this could be costly for them. So I've spoken to um, a few restaurants and pubs. Um, so one of them was Parash Patel. He's the owner of Feast India, which is located in the Golden Mile in Esther. Um, and he said that they've already spent thousands of pounds getting a restaurant to be COVID secure, as they want their staff and customers to feel safe. Um, and they've also spent money on stock, so meat and veg, which will now have to be thrown away. Um, and you still have to pay for rent and bills throughout this, and in debt because of it. So he's not sure what the future holds for him. Well, the whole thing about the supply is really interesting one. The fact that they've managed to get their suppliers and get their supplies up and running again is great. But this is going to set that back because, as you say, they're going to have to destroy what they've bought and then just hope that they'll be able to buy in supplies again when this lockdown ends. And of course, they don't know when that is. Exactly. And a lot of them are in this weird catch-22 where they just don't know what's going to happen. They don't know, even know if their business will survive. And and the, must the, be... the problem is, Josie, I mean, this rebuying the supplies is a cost to them that they're not really responsible for. Um, it means that if they've been lucky enough to get loans, they're going to have to tap into those loans perhaps to cover the cost of it. Did you get a feel while you were talking to them that some of them have said we've had enough and we just can't survive. Um, yes, I know some there are really hopeful, others they just genuinely don't know, and they are looking at whether or not it is worth even continuing or trying to keep the business open once the lockdown ends. Uh, it's a mixed feeling. Um, Jyoti, uh, absolutely must be a mixed feeling, but it's a mixed feeling for thousands of businesses in Leicester. We've got Martin Stepek here with us from Scotland, who's from the Scottish Family Business Association. Martin, um, there are certain areas of Scotland that must be 
slightly worried this could happen to them too, and they haven't even fully reopened yet. The Dumfries and Galloways is worrying about a spike there, are they not? Yeah, and it's actually happened um, just as of yesterday. Um, so, there, I mean, I went to school in Dumfries, I know that area really, really well, and it's just 10, 15 miles from the border. And they were just getting geared up for the limited openings up. And then there was a spike, they think it was in three different workplaces, but maybe originated down in Carlisle, which then brings in the Scottish English um, aspect to it. And um, Scotland has been very quick to respond to these things, you know, all the way through. Um, I think they've, the, the government have been very detailed as well. Um, so yesterday, the um, chief um, public health expert, he not only, which we didn't hear in Leicester, you know, Leicester it was, there's a, a lockdown, it's, we need to do it, full stop. In Scotland, um, Jason went on for about 10 minutes detailing who he had met, where, who was all involved, the fact it was Cumbria and Dumfries and Galloway Health and NHS looking at it together. So at the very least, from a business point of view, you saw there was a mechanism going on that led to this conclusion. Doesn't help, you know, it's just like Jyoti was saying, you know, it doesn't help the individual business person, um, but at least it gives a, a sense of perspective as to what's going on. And also they were saying, you know, they're working at it as quickly as possible to be able to re reopen things again, because it's today that some businesses are opening up again, um, like self sort of accommodation um, for holidays um, in cottages. And then there's more in Monday. So everything was being geared up in Dumfries and Galloway and the borders area is a rural tourist dependent place and it's right in the middle of summer. Martin, I've asked this question before and I'll ask you, anyone who's dealt with business in the four regions will, will have come across this, but do you think that devolution is a problem trying to resolve coronavirus throughout the UK in that everyone seems to be doing their own thing at their own pace? Uh, I think that's a political perspective that every individual would have. Personally, I'm comfortable with it. I mean, I travelled and worked my way around the world when I was younger and you start to see like so many countries have got federal systems. I was in Australia in the 1980s and I wasn't allowed to bring bananas from um, New South Wales up to um, Queensland. And, and I th that was the first thing I thought, I thought, what on earth, this is the same country. But then we're just not used to it. We're just not used to, everything should be the same. We're very centralised. I actually like it that way, but it does add complexity. There's no doubt about that, that in this town, you can't open, but go 10 miles away and you can open. But say la vie, um, I think, I, I prefer the system. Jyoti, um, are you getting any feel for what small businesses are thinking in Leicester uh, you know, about the uncertainty? Because presumably we haven't got a, a reopening date even rumoured as yet. No, and I think that's partly the problem. They want some clarity so they can prepare. Um, a lot of them have spent a lot of money on getting prepared this time around, so they want to know what they can do to make sure that they 
it is successful when they do open and customers and their staff feel safe. Um, and the thing with this lockdown, like Martin mentioned, it's not just the lockdown area that's been affected, it's actually the surrounding areas as well. So, for example, I live quite close to the border and there's a pub which half the street is in the lockdown area, half the street isn't. So I found out um, that they're not going to be opening. And there's even pubs and restaurants in the neighbouring villages that are no longer opening because they rely on the traffic from Leicester and are worried that there's going to be um, too many people coming out of Leicester to go to them. Well, Jyoti, thank you. But presumably you'll, uh, you might hear before we do <laughs> when the lockdown's coming to an end. So we'll, uh, we'll obviously hear from you as this goes on. Uh, just worth saying, as Martin mentioned, uh, non-essential shops opened in Scotland uh, on Monday this week, the 29th, and more will be opening in Scotland soon. Hotels, pubs that serve food and have table service can reopen today. That's Friday the 3rd in Northern Ireland. And in Wales, pubs and restaurants can open outdoors on the 13th of July. Outdoor attractions on Monday the 6th, but there's no restart date as yet for indoor hospitality. Mickey, you also mentioned people who are not given the go-ahead to open their businesses here in England on the 4th of July. And one of those is Sue Routledge. She, uh, you might remember, is the beautician who was on the podcast two weeks ago. She owns the Finishing Touch Clinic in County Durham. And I had a quick chat with her yesterday. Since the um, the decision on the, 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 to say that we weren't going to open on the beauty sector on the 4th of July, um, obviously it's been a huge disappointment. Um, you know, but I do realise that our industry is slightly more complex in hair because it's solely working on one area of the body um, with an easier area to, to unlock and, and to, to open. But uh, since then, you know, it, it, it has been really difficult because we aren't getting any clear guidance. You know, that went twice this week it has been mentioned about beauty salons reopening, but you know, in Parliament, it it's laced with like sniggers and jokes on which politicians may or may not need beauty treatments, which isn't helpful to us at all. You know, we are obviously a, a front-facing industry where we work in close proximity for part of um, the services, but. It's very different, the beauty industry, in that we have so many different services. And so there's general beauty salons, no two salons do the same treatments, but then you can't, there's a lot of um, salons where they'll be dominant in nails or dominant in just facials, and it's all being grouped together. So the longer this goes on, you know, possibly it's gonna be where we need some science behind which treatments we can do and which ones we we can't because now obviously the fourth of july opening of uh, and an easing of restrictions means that uh certain elements are, are going back to normal or as normal as possible but we don't know whether the government are going to now just wait and see what happens there before we even sort of get considered again um you know, so it, it's just frustrating and worrying because we just don't know how we stand really at the moment. 
Um, and, and as I say, you know, I understand it's the, the close proximity, but not every service that we do is totally close proximity. And, you know, we have all the guidelines in place. And at the moment, as I say, it's just that uncertainty. We, we don't even know whether it'll be July, August or, or whenever that we get to, to reopen. Sue Routledge. So I can get my hair done and goodness knows when I can get the nails done or have a facial. Talons and eye bags, you mean? I beg your pardon? <laughs> He's so rude. You could be in there all day. All week under that. Listen, you're one to talk. By the time they've polished the top of your head, <laughs> that should that'll take some time. Liz, the only place that would take Mickey for an appointment is the dog groomers. <laughs> Declan has a solution there. <laughs> they certainly are, but well worth it. <laughs> anyway, let's talk about sport and leisure. We'll we'll hear more about what's happening uh, in the rest of the country from Declan and uh, Simon McVicker shortly, and again from Scotland uh, from Martin. But let's talk about sport and leisure. Sport and leisure. Sam Wright is CEO of Cray Wanderers FC, and Tig Hodgson, Hodson is co-founder of Stronger Women. Sorry, Tig. Uh, we'll go and get your name wrong right at the beginning. Um, but <laughs> um, uh, Sam, I had to say, I had to do a bit of hunting round for Cray Wanderers FC. I'm not a football fan, uh, right. but it's not in the Premiership, is it? <laughs> no, we're certainly not. And uh, what we are, though, is we're London's oldest football club. So we've been Brilliant. in um, existence this year's 160th year anniversary um we had loads of plans for the summer big game against sheffield fc um the, the oldest club in the world um and we're the second oldest so it was a big thing for us really but um yeah obviously the season finished very abruptly um and as much as you don't know who we are we're in the third division of uh, the non-league pyramid and we was kind of on fire at the time we was unbeaten this season we was up to second in the league and we was pushing for back-to-back -back promotions to get us up into the uh, national um, Conference South, sorry, National League South. I'll get it right in a minute. <laughs> um, so, um, Glad it's not just me who gets it wrong. Yeah. But you are in effect, Sam, running a small business. Yes, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not employed by the football club. Um, I'm self-employed. Um, probably chose the worst time in the world to to step out of a 30-year job in the sport and leisure world in the leisure industry. I, I was running leisure centres um, and worked for one company for 30 years, and then went self-employed last April. So uh, it's certainly impacted me um, as a self-employed person that's um, not even got a year's worth of tax returns to show anyone. Um, so, yeah. Yes, one of those so, people who's fallen through the net. So you, you can effectively play football at the moment, but you certainly can't run a leisure centre. That'd be right. Um, yeah, no. You can't have any fans, can you? You can't play football either, unfortunately. Oh, you can you? If, you're, if you're a Premier League football club. And you can test your players every week. And that's the thing. There's a huge divide between the top end of football and the non-league pyramid. And Tig, Tig, you, um, the impact had a, the, the, the lockdowns had a huge impact on your business too, because you were in the middle of building work as well, I think I'm right in saying. <laughs> yeah, so uh, for us, it's been a um, very illuminating time i would say that um we've ran stronger for three years and then we actually crowdfunded last year to open the first strictly and only strength and conditioning space in london and it was meant to open on the 17th of april of which 
it did not, obviously. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> Time is not your strong point. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Well, it kind of, at the time, it was kind of one of those things where we were like, oh my goodness, like what we're going to do and obviously adapt and restructure the business and put it online. But it's actually worked in our favour because we haven't given ourselves enough time to open the space probably the way we wanted. So this this moment here has allowed us to slow down and develop it a lot more. So there's actually been pros to it as well. And we've benefited from obviously the bounce back loans and the, the government support as well, which we wouldn't have got. So it has actually helped us in a weird way. And what's <laughs> been the reaction of the creditors? The investors? Yeah. Well, creditors, investors, yeah. Yeah, honestly, like they have backed us. We kind of we keep them up to date every every week, every couple of weeks, every major thing. Obviously, when it all happened, there was they were very nervous. But we're very we're very grassroots. Obviously, the idea is to expand quite quickly over the next few years. And because we're very very invested in our community, we have a very open dialogue with them. So because they backed us in the first place, they weren't they didn't have any doubt that we would still get through this period of which we have, and we've actually come out better. We've had, we've put in more products, we've developed the business even more, we've expanded the team, and we're still gonna open as long as Boris says so, um, hopefully in August. And for a lot of businesses, especially in leisure, there's so many now that are going to liquidation, redundancy, and it's like for us to come out as a new business um, for what we do, the specific market, and be like, actually, we're still standing and we're better than we were before. Sam, what about your investors, your sponsors? How how much support have you had? Right, so um, we're, we're quite fortunate. It's, it sounds bizarre, but because we don't actually have our own ground, um, we're, we're just about to build a brand new stadium um, for the football club. And um, we're ground sharing currently with Bromley. So we're a football club in the non-league that doesn't rely heavily on secondary spend, on, on numbers through the doors, people buying a beer, buying a burger. Um, so... We haven't had that impact so much as a lot of the bigger clubs at our level, where they, you know, if they're getting a thousand fans, fifteen hundred fans in each week, they have a budget that's very reliant on that. Um, whereas ours isn't, um, but we are very reliant on sponsors. So we we have a lot of local businesses that support the football club, um, and that's going to be tough because I've got to have that conversation. Normally, July, August is the time where I'm tapping into our sponsors, asking them, "Are you up for going again?" Um, and if you're a local builder that's not been working or, you know, a local supplier that's not been open, um, it's going to be a tough conversation. It's, it's all going to be about timing, I suppose. Would you be more, I mean, your sponsors you've just talked about, are they are they small businesses themselves, you know, individuals, or have you got some big corporates in there that no, really no. can weather the storm? Unfortunately, we're, um, we are... Uh, mainly like small local businesses. We do have a couple. Our main sponsor is a big company and we have a big estate agent as well that sponsors our youth section. But they've, they've had to try to shut down overnight um, their big operation. So that it's, it's going to be up with any one of them, but definitely our small businesses, our local kind of guys that have been with us for years. It's, you know, they want to keep the money in their business. I'm, I'm sure they do. I know a lot of people are trying to do that. So it's going to be awkward. Think to what think to what Tig was saying. Are you are you finding actually that this is a useful time to rethink, restructure, reorganize, yeah. rebudget? Oh, yeah. Time, oh, the dog. The dogs just said yes. Okay. <laughs> it was a dog. <laughs> <laughs> my dog does my budgets too. 
<laughs> I'd style him up if I was you, Sam. Yeah, yeah. I you <laughs> <laughs> So, um, yeah, sorry, I lost my track a little bit there. Yeah, um, no, I think... yeah, I'm just wondering if it was, you know, that time to pause, as Tig said about her business, was actually Evolve, useful. in other words. You know, a lot of businesses yeah, are, yeah. are going to survive if they evolve with technology and the changes to society that yeah, this has brought on. Personally, I've had to completely adapt because I've, the football club has, has not been able to pay me money it was paying me because we're not we're not operating there's nothing happening so i've luckily enough i had a nutrition uh, sideline business and that's just exploded through lockdown we're doing loads of online you know where you was trying to get someone to come to a local community center to have a look at what we were doing they'd have 20 excuses why they couldn't get on a thursday night to to a community center but over the last few months to get someone on a zoom call what you're doing tonight at seven o'clock um, there's not so many people out. People at three o'clock in the afternoon can jump on a Zoom call. I, I didn't even know what Zoom was a few months ago. Now it's kind of the heart of my business. <laughs> sure How... Zoom would be happy with that. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure they will. That's, that's a good plug for them. Uh, but, uh, you know, Tig, how many of your customers do you think are going to stick with you uh, as you evolve and grow out of this, as, as you reboot? Sam, you know, are you... Can you count on that loyalty too? So we've actually gained a lot of customers through this um, because we already had an existing uh, client base before. We had around about like 450 members of what we've created before. And then obviously we've moved them into the online space, into Zoom classes. And um, we've now created an online platform of like follow along workouts and programs, which then means the, the forward plan of stronger going global has now moved forward because now we have people in the Netherlands and in America like doing the workouts and things like that, which means then we've got new products that we've developed, which we need to run alongside the space opening. And then the people that have known about us in our like close community, which is Bethnal Green and England and Hackney, then I like went open and people are now trying to buy memberships for when we open because we're already putting out the our space is COVID friendly, we can have X amount of people, everyone has their own equipment, there's no sharing. So people are like, okay, great, wicked, like I'll buy my membership now and then I know it's there for when you can open. So we actually have gained more and more brand loyalty from our existing and new members. What, what is your, what, sorry, what is it you did? Because just from my leisure background, I used to run the leisure centres in, a lot of them were in East London. Um, they're bog standard leisure centers, and I really fear for them, for them guys, when it all gets back opening. But what, what, what is your product, Tig? Are you slightly differently? Are you like more class based, or no? So we, because we're we're strictly women only strength and conditioning, so we're weight training. So we're basically filling the gap. Or filling, I say the gap. It's eighty percent of the market. But for women that don't fit in in boutique and don't want to go to the conventional commercial gyms, we're actually teaching women and building them confidence in how to use weights which is a massive left market. And so because we basically honed that for the last three years, we obviously specialise in that and we're the only ones in London that are doing it that are strictly women and we have a high Muslim uh, demographic as well. It's meant that when we say it, people are like, okay, great. And I think it's the brand, like commercial leisure centres are great, but they're a space where you just go and train and people are still clueless. Whereas we're like, this is what you're doing. You can trust us you're in safe hands, this is your space. And that's what people have hung on to. The brand will carry through, the space, like just any old space. Yeah. No, I, I, to hang on to. 
I totally agree with you there because I, I, I posted a video last week, funny enough, about the gyms when people was up in arms about them not opening because only 15% of the UK population have a gym membership. 85% of the people in this country never go to a gym. And I think through lockdown, people have realised that there's a, a way of keeping fit. You don't need to be in the gym all the time. You can go out to your local park, you can ride your bike, you can run, you can do your stuff. And I think your niche market there will, will really work. But I do fear for the bigger operators because even the 15% that have gym membership, only six, uh, 63% of them people never ever use it. They join and never yeah. ever actually go. <laughs> They're and, just paying and not even going. Yeah, four billion pounds a year. Yeah. is spent on gym memberships that are never used. So I just think people will look at where they can reuse that money. And I think that I, I, I seriously fear for my, my old company. I really do because I just I don't see how they get back and they get people no. in the gyms. And the gym market is to. kind of race to the bottom. There's there's gyms opening for £10 a month. And it's, yeah, it's, we uh, have seen like things like um, any kind fitnesses and things like that, like literally next to us. And people are like, are you not worried? And we're like, well, no, because we're not just a walk-in, walk-out gym. It's not that experience at all. Yeah. So, no. No I don't here. know why the big packing business crew are all looking at me, because I'm sure the rest of them don't go to a gym either. But, <laughs> Tig, just, just, just a quick question. Um, your business model at the start of the year, are you going to recognise it at the start of next year? Is it going to be completely different? Sorry, was that to me? Yeah. Is it going to be completely different at the start of next year? Yeah. Uh, yes. Because what we initially for next year, we would have only had the space. And now it's like we have the space, which we have to also open in a very skeleton way. It won't be the capacity that it's meant to be. The classes that we're running won't be. There's certain things that we had in place and partnerships we had in place that were like, okay, we can't do that. But then the extra stuff that we're not doing there is now moved online which means now we have like, we've got like two business models running simultaneously. So for that, yeah. yeah. Which is why I've had is to expand it? the team. I was like, I just can't do this. That's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. I tell you what, I'm going to get you two on to do a masterclass in how to innovate <laughs> and, share, and share experiences because I think this is really important for, uh, you know, for other people thinking, you know, what can I do? How can I dig myself out of the situation I'm in? Sam, do you think it will be the people who are willing to take the risks and innovate that see uh, this out? 100%. 100%. You, you know, you've got, you, you can't, go forward without failing every now and again and, and it's taking a risk and, and risking a bit of failure that means you can then move forward again um, so yeah we've I've, as I said the football club's been a great opportunity and to come out of a corporate world after all those years and set up my own little consultancy business was, was exciting but then suddenly when the rug gets pulled underneath you like it was in March it's um, we've had to innovate my wife's used to a, a keep fit instructor for your years experience and we've been running online classes in the morning, getting guys involved with that, uh, helping people with their nutrition because 80% of, of, of nutrition is, is more 80% as important as 20% of exercise. You know, it's, it's all about the nutrition, getting it right. Because a lot of people think they can out-train a bad diet, but you just can't. You, if you can train as hard as you like, but if you're putting the wrong fuel in your body, you're never ever going to make any kind of significant change. So we've really worked hard on that. And, We've actually trebled our turnover in the last three months on the nutrition side. So it's, uh, it's certainly bailed me out in, in relation to 
the football side stopped him. I'm just thinking about all those biscuits I've eaten. What are you laughing at, Liz? No, I'm just thinking about all those biscuits I've eaten. And actually, what I was what I was laughing at was looking around the team on Zoom. I mean, obviously, there are other platforms other than Zoom. Uh, yeah. However, if Zoom would like to sponsor us, we'd <laughs> love to hear from them. However, I was just looking around our pictures, our collective uh, pictures on, on Zoom in the gallery view. Uh, and I see an awful lot of double gins, my own included. <laughs> Hold on, hold on, hold on. I've got the perfect weight ratio for a man uh, 10 foot 7. A lot of people that we've been helping have said that they they actually feel they've been on like a three-month all-inclusive holiday since lockdown. It's like they just can't walk past the fridge without opening it. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what's happened to Declan. <laughs> oh, Declan, it's your turn now. Yeah, well, he said he I, I open the fridge, I look inside, and then I remember that I'm not actually hungry, I'm just bored, so I close the fridge again. <laughs> Good luck. Look, this is it's a fascinating discussion, and I honestly think there must be something else that we can do together uh, in terms of thinking through, you know, innovation and so on and so forth. But before we leave it, can I just ask the question that we ask everybody? What is the one thing that you really need help with now to make sure that you are back in business and in charge and growing and, you know, regenerating. Tiggs. Clarity. <laughs> Honestly, I'm like, it, it's just, um, it, at the moment, it's this, this annoying sort of limbo. Before it was like, okay, we're in lockdown and this is definitely not happening. And now obviously being in sports and leisure, it's like, okay, this can open, but you can't. But it might open in a couple of weeks, but it might not. But it might, and it's just, we've had people, and I've had friends here that they've been told by their businesses, like, oh yeah, you're going back to work on the 4th. And then they've had to email them out being like, oh no, you can't now because the government said no. And I just think, any business, and I know ours specifically because we're new, like the, the marketing and PR that I have to do to open a new space, I have to know like six to eight weeks in advance. Me knowing two weeks in advance that we're going to open doesn't help me. So I'm like, clarity would be a massive, massive thing. And rent-free for the rest of the year. That'd be great. Okay, well... <laughs> Love that. <laughs> we said one thing and we got two... <laughs> Uh, you, I, you're going to get a couple from me, I think, as well, unfortunately. But clarity is massively important for us because we're just waiting for the league. You know, when are we starting football again? You know, we don't know. Nobody knows. It's been muted that non-league may start again in September. It may not start till January. You know, it may not have a season at all. And we might have fans in the ground. We might not have fans in the ground. It's, it, it is so unclear at the moment. And, I, you know, the FA have got a big meeting this Saturday, tomorrow, um, or this is Monday, so it would have happened by the time this goes out. But um, that, that hopefully will give us a bit of clarity because I've got the first team manager who wants to get started. He wants to get the boys back in for pre-season. Um, and then there's a cost to that as a football club. At the moment, we've managed to mothball everything, keep it closed down, minimise expenditure. As soon as we start training again, we're going to start incurring expenditure. And if we don't know the season's going to start till January, it's going to be one hell of a long pre-season. The lads are going to be in some shape by the time we actually get kicking a board so um it, yeah we really need clarity and we're trying all sorts we've got a drive-through cinema going on um this weekend um over at the facility where we're building the new stadium just to try and generate some kind of other streams of income 
that's absolutely fascinating. It would never have occurred to me to put a drive-through cinema. I hope the lads are not going to be in the same shape as uh, some of the back of business <laughs> team. But, but Sam, uh, keep in touch with his tigs. Thank you ever so much. Thank you. It's been Thank really, you. really, really great to talk to you. Uh, Martin Stepick is still here from the Scottish Family Business Association. Declan Curry is our business editor. And Simon McVicker, who's been very quiet in the background, is our public affairs director. Um, what more can I say? These are amazingly innovative people. Is that the key? I think it was interesting, you know, to see clarity straight away. Um, you have to sort of be very adaptable at any time in business, you know, um, because we've got the illusion of certainty in the future. And of course, life isn't like that, but with the illusion in your mind, you can make plans and generally speaking you go roughly according to the plan but just now it's mental chaos if you like there is no way of knowing from one day to the next what industry you're in what society you're in what street you're in um and it's chaotic i mean you talked about foot you know football and I played football when I was young, um, semi-professionally. My dad was chairman of Hamilton Aki's, um football club, so it's, I'm steeped in this. But the women's football in Scotland, women's football league, which was a great boost from the World Cup from last year, you know, England and Scotland both in it. They had one game of their season started in March, and it's been in lockdown. So all those plans for let's build on a great year last year and build up women's football. They, they don't know when they're going to reopen. They have no idea. They don't know when they're going to, and not all of them can afford, you know, as Sam was saying, you know, the, the sort of checking to make sure testing that everybody's okay. Um, and people are, the five-a-side courts are all closed down just now as well because of social distancing, but people are breaking into them to play football. And they've been captured on um, so um, closed circuit TV. Uh, so it's it's chaotic. Um, but I think innovation wins out. It wins out every time. And I think that's the great thing about people. That there is resilience. Even if the business goes down, you can build another business. The thing we always say to in family business to, to family businesses is, don't screw up the family, because. If you screw up relationships with the family because of the tensions that are currently going on, it's difficult to rebuild a family. You can always start another business. And I think keep that in mind. And it's interesting. I mean, you talk about innovation, Martin, but it's the businesses that can innovate and keep on their toes that are going to be the survivors in this, no matter what they do. And, you know, we've seen some pretty big companies in the last few months. I think it was, it was uh, Primark last week admitted that it lost some in the region of 650 million pounds a month in lost sales it doesn't have a website i mean why not that's just and, and mickey mickey even more interestingly in, in the statement which you and i will have read this week it didn't seem to show any urgency about getting no. a website no. and I'd, i couldn't tell whether that was an organization that simply hadn't learned from what has happened or one that thinks that it's so confident in the business that it does high street only 
that it really doesn't want to change because it doesn't feel that it has to. I'm not sure how I mean, sustainable you, that strategy would be. You look at Marks and Spencer. Marks and Spencer had a website. Who uses it? You know, but you look at Next, it's got stores everywhere and it's got a very good online business. And the so online it's, it's business has time. been driving sales yeah, of Next yeah, and helping yeah. it cope with the decline on the high street. So I have a question for Sam because we heard barking and then we saw Sam run away to the back of the room and now there is no barking. What have you done to the dog? <laughs> it's what he's done to the delivery man. Uh, yeah, my my, uh, my dog's quite old. I think she's worn herself out just with a couple of barks. <laughs> um, Simon, Simon, could I just bring you in here? This whole issue about clarity, is there a message for the government here? Is there a message for the powers that be? Well, uh, obviously, yes, clarity is the key to all of this. But we've had the Prime Minister on this morning being interviewed and he was challenged on this very issue. Why is it so confusing for people? And he said, look, we are dealing with a, a, an unprecedented, unprecedented pandemic. It is a very complex issue. And so therefore, we cannot give clarity in the way you want it. Uh, he was then challenged on the inconsistencies within what the government was saying. And he said, well, look, you're just going to have to trust us because we're working with the medical people and your people are just going to have to understand. But they want to open up as soon as possible. And that is also clear. So, I mean, maybe we just don't know the full extent of what's going on. Uh, but, you know, I think the politicians and the prime minister is saying that the politicians do seem to understand the lack of clarity is important. But you heard, is, Martin, you heard what is, Martin Simon, said. Sorry, Liz, I was just going to say to Simon, Simon, Boris is right on this one. That, you know, I understand the frustration and the need for process and the need for simplicity in this, but we're dealing with a public health emergency and everything else has to take a backseat, as we saw in Leicester this week. If this flares up again in local areas around the country, then there will be lockdowns, there will be disruption, irrespective of the economic and business cost. <laughs> The problem also, Declan, is it comes on the back of three years of uncertainty over Brexit, where, you know, businesses were left hanging up to dry, wondering whether it was going to be a deal or no deal. And as soon as it's got some clarity about it, along comes the coronavirus. You know, if you can successfully run a business over the past four years, you've been doing well. Can I, I agree with you both, uh, but this is where it plays into what I've been saying in these podcasts. Recovery is all about confidence. And, um, you know, if there's lack of clarity because of a pandemic, you're not going to get that confidence and uh, people aren't going to go out to the pubs or shop or do whatever you want. And therefore, we're not going to have this V-shaped recovery. Uh, can I just ask you about that? Because there's been a report out this morning that says we're not going to go to the pub. Now, um, my straw poll suggests that quite a lot of people I know will be uh, battering the doors down. By oh, I saw that. I saw that and I doubted it as well, Liz. It just didn't fit with what anyone is saying to me. As always with all these surveys, it depends on who they ask. Yes. Well, as a, as a friend of mine said earlier this morning, how many people go to the pub each week? Anyway, do we know that? You know, so, but this, as you say, this, this, this survey out this morning in the eye says seven, only 7% of people say they'll go to the pub this weekend. 
three percent that was that was the figure i didn't believe three percent say they'll dine out and two percent five percent go to the hairdressers well we know that's a lie but more well, that can't be right for heaven's yeah, sake the, yeah, the nation's but, crazy for haircuts exactly. freddie krueger could set up a salon yes. and he'd get business <laughs> absolutely <laughs> but more more concerningly they're saying uh 50 percent of people are saying they're not even going to contemplate going to the pub or restaurant before october and I'm only going, going, I'm going tomorrow night. And, and only oh, one, God, yeah you. yeah but you're you you could be part of the seven percent <laughs> but um and only one in five are saying that they will go on a overseas holiday this year so if these figures are true and i'm not saying they are this is bad news for the economy um Declan goes on holiday next week but he's sitting on his astroturf on his deck chair outside the back door martin yeah. is trying to get in yeah martin. i think you know you you have to look at the demographics this is classic business marketing side of it there's a whole bunch of people who fortunately i think we, none of us are part of who are shielding because they're vulnerable now it's a whole lot different you know i'm, I'm out walking in the woods and you know going and seeing my daughter and things now and it's great and it feels almost back to normal but there's a bunch of people out there who are scared that if they go to the wrong place at the wrong time they will catch this and they will die you know and like with business you can you can redo your business after a problem after brexit you can redo your business after um, coronavirus but you can't relive if you're dead and that's the confidence part and bear in mind that the older population has been increasingly a larger part of the population in total. Yes. And I also think that uh, central London, for instance, is much younger. And so young people will go to the pub. No doubt. Oh, yeah. Can I can I just <laughs> yes. uh, can I just ask uh, Declan and Simon before we before we come to screech to halt on this, uh, what has happened this week? that we need to know about and what's likely to happen next week that we should be it, looking out for. It, it's been it's been pretty grim all week, particularly on the jobs front. We had two days this week where 12,000 jobs uh, were lost then overnight. This is Friday overnight last night. We had another 1,900 jobs gone at Café Rouge and Bella Italia as well. Um, one thing that struck me about these job losses, a lot of them are uh, in retail and in casual dining, and a lot of them are with companies that um have been staying in business against all the odds for some time and coronavirus has really accelerated trends that we're probably going to do for them anyway but if you look at airbus 1700 jobs going into uk factories now it's going to be a much wider impact than that because uh, those airbus plants in bristol and in north wales will have hundreds of smaller businesses supplying them as well and their job losses are probably not going to be as prominent or as noticed but they will be pretty devastating uh, around bristol around the southwest and around uh, those it's parts six of to north one Bay. ratio apparently every job lost in airbus there are six more job losses in the local infrastructure that make it up. And that's always the way. Whenever a big car manufacturer is shut down or British Steel, you always heard about the centralised closures, but you didn't hear about the, the companies that make up the support for those businesses. And, and these and are the medium-sized and smaller companies. And, yeah. but these are, and these are the very ones that we keep saying are the backbone of the UK economy. And without them, we won't be recreating the jobs and regrowing. Simon, a lot what of them we... feed on the back of the big companies, and when the big companies suffer, 
they go down with yeah. it, and that's that's the well, problem. Uh, and in the past week, we had a, a speech by Boris, build, 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 let's get the economy going in. And he only offered £5 billion, which mostly had been pre-announced anyway. So if that's his plan, we're in trouble. Next week, we have the Chancellor making his statement on Wednesday. He is now saying this is not a budget statement and it's not going to be announcing a major re, re um reboosting the economy plan that's going to be in the autumn but i think he'll be under quite a lot of pressure to say something substantial in this statement here's a bit of good news look to the future we also heard this week that the world's largest hydrogen energy plant is to be built outside hull now if that takes root that's going to create thousands and thousands of jobs in the sector that is low carbon sustainable energy it's that type of future looking stuff that's going to produce the growth but Declan, uh, my question is, who's going to fill those jobs? Are the people who are being made unemployed going to be, uh, are we going to put the money into retraining and reskilling those people in order to do the new jobs that are or coming along? And can we do it fast enough? Well, we have to, but then not everyone who is going to lose their job in retail and in hospitality and in pubs and hotels uh, is going to have the scientific background that's necessary for working in uh, companies like this. But this issue of us not producing enough scientists and engineers and not training people to shift careers later in life, we've been talking about that for as long as we've been alive. And we're going to and, talk and it, about it again and again. again and Have again, we got enough yeah. builders? Have we got enough build brickies? No, you try and get hold of one. We do. They all live. They all live in Romania. Yeah. <laughs> we need them here. Yeah. Well, we've gorged ourselves on cheap labour for the past 10, 15 years, particularly with the EU. You know, the Eastern Bloc countries coming in, and it's been wonderful for the companies and the economy. But of course, the companies won't spend any money on training people to do proper jobs. And that's where it falls down. And when you get something like coronavirus comes along, all of a sudden you realise there's a great fish you're running straight away through your business plan. I think I think we're going to have to come back to that in a whole pod of its own. <laughs> <laughs> so there we'll have to leave it, I think. Yes, I think so. Um, I've just got to look at the script now. People will be surprised that we've actually got a script for this, but yeah, we have. Hey, somebody cue um, for goodness I think, sake. I think it's the back of an envelope <laughs> that you've just <laughs> cobbled oh, together. Cue, Mickey. Yeah, thank <laughs> I'm, going to, I'm going to say thank you to Declan eventually, but thanks for Martin and Simon. Um, and we've got other, other areas we could have looked at, but we've just run out of time, basically. Yeah, and thanks to on. Sam. Hi. Thanks to Sam. Thanks to Tiggy. Uh, so... Uh, one thing I will say, and we haven't mentioned yet, is that the theatres aren't opening either. And people in the theatre are very dejected. I talked to the actor Adam James this week. The UK theatres are enormously uh, important economically to the UK. I had no idea. The whole arts and culture sector, about £112 billion it contributes to uh, the economy. And of that, £1.3 comes directly from the theatres themselves. And so, uh, you know, people are now cancelling local pantos. They've got no idea when they're going to open again. Uh, you can hear what Adam had to say. That interview is on the site. And we'd love to talk to you too. What are you up to? Are you getting back to work? Um, and if Sam and Tiggy have inspired you, Come on, what about your innovation? How are you innovating? We want to hear. Yep. 
You can contact us at, contact us at backinbusiness.org.uk. We want to hear all your comments. Um, there's a lot to discuss, and I'm sure this has given you food for thought. We'll see you next week. <laughs>